Welcome to C-Suite Radio. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Yes, we have a big star today, actor Gary Anthony Williams, voice actor, actor extraordinaire, improver. I mean, the list goes on and on, and he has been just involved in so many projects over the years. We talk about his current role, Chuck, on the Netflix series, The Crew, starring Kevin James. What a fun conversation that was. And we even do a little throwback at the end of the interview uh, from his uh, appearance on Soul Plane back in the day. That was just a lot of fun. One of the nicest people on the planet, and this was just a fun conversation. I think you're going to like it, and be sure to head over to the openmicpodcast.show and uh, give us a follow. Check out all of the latest episodes. Gary Anthony Williams was the absolute best, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Idly hey! Welcome to another episode of the Open Mic Podcast. Prepare to be astonished! With Brett Allen. Dude, we are so gonna party! A pop culture podcast. <gasps> oh! At the open mic, no topic is off limits. Great Odin's Raven! Join in weekly as Brett interviews your favorite celebrities from film, television, sports, music, and much more. Plus, you never know who will stop by. The mystic portal awaits. Now, here is your host, Brett Allen. I think you and I need to make an agreement right now that we are going to do the single best podcast of either of our lives. And if this isn't it, we quit the business. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, okay. it might be a bit more challenging for you to quit, uh, but nope. no, really. Okay. So you could no. just give it up anytime. Yeah, because I am uh, what uh, I call dependently wealthy. I can walk away. <laughs> I can walk away at any time. Well, I mean, you've done quite a bit. Of course, we're here to talk about the crew on Netflix, but just going through your list of projects that you've done through IMDb, I mean, you've been a very active working actor for decades. Yeah, you know what? I think it's that desire to not go totally broke <laughs> that uh, <laughs> that keeps me going. No, but I... I realize that there's a lot of luck in this business and I've been I've been in some lucky places at some lucky times and met some really great people in those places. So I've been at it for a while. I was acting in Atlanta um, on stage and doing improv comedy with Laughing Matters and doing dinner theater back there. And then I moved out to L.A. in 98 and I started working. I think it was at the very beginning of my first year here that I started recurring on Malcolm in the Middle. In yeah, yeah. I remember that because that was a really popular show. I mean, I don't think at the time did most people realize that it was going to catch on like it did. Dude, here's here's the crazy part. So I auditioned, um, I auditioned for it. Uh, originally, I auditioned for the pilot for a bathroom attendant in the pilot. And then they didn't cast me. And they said, we actually want you to come back and audition for this other character's dad who's going to be a regular on the show. So then I went back and auditioned for that. But even when I auditioned for the pilot, when all the actors were sitting around in there, because it was one of those single cam comedies, 
you know, no live audience. And we weren't really used to that at the time. And I remember the actors sitting around going, this is funny. This is supposed to be a comedy, right? I mean, it's funny, but I can't tell because it wasn't written like uh, like comedy pilots are written. So not only did we, I don't, somebody probably knew it was going to be big, like Linwood Boomer, the creator. But like, I couldn't even tell like, God, I hope I'm, I'm doing this a funny way. I hope this is a comedy. I hope I'm not screwing up their audition here. That's interesting. So. Yeah. I mean, and that was really before Brian Cranston was Brian Cranston and yeah. just a whole lot of people got their start on that show. That was kind of yeah. like a gateway for a lot of actors to really get the exposure on a single camera sitcom and just sort of kind yeah. of have their careers launched pretty much. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Cranston had done, I think at that time he may have done, he had done Friends, I think. But more than that, he had done some soap operas and stuff like that. He, you know, he's, he was an incredibly talented actor, of course. <laughs> like, it, one line and you knew, like, okay, this guy's got it. And just literally one of the nicest human beings that I've ever met in my life. Uh, so, yeah, he definitely used that as a great vehicle to get, get himself seen yeah and and the thing that i like about that show in particular it's not one that the hollywood folks that be the powers that be have decided to try and reboot or remake they've just kind of left it alone which i think is nice yeah you know we've joked about several times like we all had a big get together a couple of years ago we joked several times about having like uh some kind of crazy reunion of that show which i think probably everyone there would love to do just for the weird like the show always relaxed comfortably in its own weirdness you know what i mean so i think i think they would kind of play upon that whole idea anyways yeah well um, especially i think more so during like the pandemic and when people were locked down they were doing those reunited together type zoom table yeah. reads types of things so that would yeah. probably be fun to see but we actually did that. Okay, that's right. We did we did a Zoom uh we did a Zoom pilot and since I wasn't in the pilot I read all of the stage directions. I overacted all the stage directions. <laughs> I, I made sure I got my due. Yeah, there uh, you go. <laughs> yeah, funny. so the, yeah, we did that part at least. Uh and that was great literally seeing everybody's faces like some of the people I hadn't seen in forever. I see Brian Cranston a lot. We're still in the same neighborhood. Um but uh, the other people like Jane Kaczmarek, I hadn't seen her in I don't know when. And Frankie, I hadn't seen him in quite a while. Yeah, I think when that show ended, they did a few things here and there. But I know yeah. Frankie stopped acting for a long time and went back to school and did several different things. And yeah, he even then when we were doing the show, he wanted to be a racer. Yeah, like still, still rally sport. Yeah. So that was that was his big thing back then. Uh, yeah. And then some other people went to school. Yeah. We actually tried getting him and we had a date set. And then he had a big race coming up that had been postponed wow. due to lockdown. And that obviously took priority over us, which is fine. You know, everything happens for a reason. But I have to say, like, just going through everything that you've done, you have always, like most actors, or maybe not, kind of just gotten a broad experience specifically a lot of comedies you've done some dramas you've done some voiceover work mm -hmm. so you mentioned that you know you came out to LA and got that show but at what point in your career did you kind of come to the realization okay 
I've sort of made it, and this is something that Pro- I'll do. Probably, ne- probably next month, I will have that realization. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I, uh, uh, I don't I don't know that whole uh, made it deal. I will tell you that this this is the crazy part. I do a lot of cartoons. Yes. A lot of them. And it was maybe two years ago. I swear to you, maybe two years ago, I was in a voiceover booth somewhere. And I, I was reading, getting ready to read my my stuff. And I went, oh, my God, I'm a professional. I like realized about two years ago that I was a professional voiceover guy. I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, oh, this is something I do. Uh, so I don't know about the have made it thing. When I was living in Atlanta, I remember there was an audition. I, I had finally gotten into voiceover big time there. And there was an audition and it said, um, looking for a Gary Anthony Williams type for this commercial. And then I auditioned for it and I didn't get it because somebody... <laughs> Somebody in Atlanta was more Gary Anthony Williams than me. Probably that Rob Cleveland. Who knows? It was probably him back in the day. Um, but at that point, I did feel like, oh, I'm really in the voiceover community here now. My name is on an audition list that they're not going to hire me for. <laughs> so that was when I felt like I finally got into the voiceover community in Atlanta. But I, I don't think I've ever felt like I've made it. Because, you know, I'm still auditioning, you know, I auditioned for the, you know, the show we're going to talk about today as well. The crew, you know, I had to audition for that. Like some things I don't audition for, some voiceover jobs, like for people I've worked with a lot, it's an offer. But most of the time, I'm like right before we got on this call, I probably sent in about um, 10 or 11 different voiceover auditions, you know, because uh, I have a booth in my house now. Wow. Uh, but I think, though, at least it was validation on some level, right? When when you see your name as a Gary Anthony type, you know, that's kind of funny. <laughs> I've oh, heard yeah. other it, actors say the same thing, you know, like a it, Paige Davis type or yeah. whatever. It's hilarious. It's, it's, it's even funnier that when you don't get that role that has your <laughs> name on top of it, that makes it even, it's, it's almost as good as getting the job. When you don't get it, though they're saying they're looking for your type, it's like, uh... Call me, man. Here's my type. <laughs> you don't. Why do you need the type when you've got the real package? I'm right here. That, that may be it. Like we're not looking for Gary Anthony Williams. Let's <laughs> let's let's make this clear. No one is looking for that guy. But if you know his type, that guy we're looking for all day long. That's interesting. Well, I mean, your personality and voice is quite distinctive. So. I guess they're just really kind of maybe going somewhere in their head a different space than most people yeah, might I, go. I don't know. Hey, man, it's all it's all good. Uh, I, I don't remember what that commercial was, but I'm sure it was probably one of the most successful commercials in the world. Uh, whoever got it is probably now the king of their own island somewhere. Well. And, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get my island someday. <laughs> well, I mean, you've obviously carved out for yourself a place in this industry because again and not to overstate it but you've done a lot of different things a lot of voiceover tv films the crew which is i think one of the best shows that has come out recently and and i don't just say that but just the fact that it's just so funny and entertaining and the cast that you are a part of is just over the top. I mean, Kevin James, I mean, the list goes on and on. It's insane. It's 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 fantastic to work on that show. So I will say, like, 
I did not know Kevin at all. We had never met, but from day one, before that, he called all the actors who got, who, you know, and said, Hey, can't wait to work with, with you guys. And then from day one, uh, we shoot in, we shoot that in Long Island from day one, just meeting him for the first time. He made sure everybody was comfortable. And then when it came time to shoot, he said, all right, guys, let's just keep it loose. Just keep it loose. And like, let's play. And that was like, as an improv guy, like that's, that's all you want to hear. You know, like that's, that's, that's fun times. So he made sure everybody was comfortable. And then, like you said, the rest of the cast, Dan Adu, you know, stand up comic, who's absolutely ridiculous. And then two Broadway stars in the show, uh, Jillian Muller and uh, Sarah Stiles are both either Tony winning or Tony nominated uh, actresses. And they are both dynamite. And then uh, Freddie Stroma, who's also in that Bridgerton. He's English. He plays an American on our show. And for the entire run, he never spoke in an English accent, even when we were all hanging out together, not shooting. The day we wrapped is when he started speaking <laughs> with his regular accent again. That is hilarious. So you mentioned Long Island because I believe Kevin has filmed a lot of his shows there. I think everything, mm -hmm. it, pretty much. There's like Gold Coast Studios or something yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Where he did Kev or Kevin Can Wait. Kevin Can Wait. And mm -hmm. then I don't know if King of Queens shot there or not, but I mean, that's pretty cool just to have that kind of juice to get the show filmed where you live, which is a lot of fun. So, was yeah, that's when you when you're so powerful, you can go, hey, man, I need, <laughs> I need you to shoot this entire Netflix uh, series in my backyard. Then, you know, you got some Hollywood or Long Island. You got that Long Island juice. Yeah. Bro. Yeah. You've got the power. I think you and I need to start making some hoodies that just say Long Island juice on them. Yeah. Really yeah. Like, I think that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. You've got the uh, platform. I, I, I do graphic design. I'll get in touch with your people. Oh, shoot. Here, I'm my people. Don't get in touch with the Gary Anthony Williams people type. Don't do that. Just <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> straight to my people. That's fine. We'll, we'll just go straight to you. So I'm assuming that this was filmed post COVID or pre COVID, mid COVID oh, or a mix. Brett, you're asking all the right questions and you're asking them in the right tone. Uh, so we started filming January through March 13th. So that week leading up to March 13th, which was a Friday, I believe it was Friday the 13th, I believe. Um, we were going to shoot regular with our regular audience in. Uh, and then audience members started dropping because it, it was in New York. You know, that was ground zero as far as anybody knew. Uh, and then audience members start going, I'm not coming. My buddy, Brian Sack, he was like, no, I'm taking my family upstate. We're getting out of the city. And the audience started dropping and they're like, oh, we're still going to do the show. And then they said, well, we're just going to do the show, but without an audience. And then that Friday morning we came in to shoot and they said, okay, we're just going to shoot it all this morning. And we're going to give you guys an extra week of hiatus. You can go home for two weeks and then we'll see you in two weeks. I thought ah, it'll be a month, maybe two months. I left all my luggage up there and my clothes and everything. Oh, no. Two months. And then so that was January through March 13th. And then I went back the middle of August to finish it up. Had to be quarantined for 14 days. And when I say quarantine, it was you're not allowed to leave your hotel room even to walk down the hall and that we didn't even have windows that open in our hotel. Wow. 
uh, like it was sitting in that hotel room for 14 days. And I, I went slightly nuts. I really did. It was like that. I started losing time at the end of it. But after that, we went back out. Everybody's in shields and face masks and lathered down and finished it up without really without incident. We were able to finish the last three episodes. Wow. And I mean, you're not the first to share that type of story. I was talking to somebody else recently and she was telling me that she's filming a show in Canada. She mm-hmm. had to go to one hotel in Canada just as a start for seven days and then quarantine in another hotel for 14 more days, being in contact with the Mounties and all of that, that sort of monitor it there and then yeah. being able to go on set and film. So yeah. What a crazy time. And it's interesting that you say that because I remember a lot of people saying that go, well, give it. I even said that, you know, give it two weeks. This will all pass over. And then, boom, you know, a year or so has passed. And it's unbelievable. We're, we're sort of seeing light at the end of the tunnel now, I think. Yeah. I mean, like, where are you, Brett? Are you I'm in, in the Bay Area. Bay Area. In the Bay Area. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like here in LA now, like vaccines have really kicked up. Like a lot of my friends have gotten their vaccines, especially because those expiring ones where you can go wait in line all day and you can get vaccinated. Uh, my teenage son has been able to get vaccinated. They're trying to vaccinate teenagers and 16 and 17 year olds as well now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you, we are starting to see some light, you know, not to get too sciencey. If we can outrun the, uh, outrun the variants that are coming, uh, then yeah. But back then when this hit, like we were the first, the crew was the first Netflix show to go back into production. Okay. And so they were not about to throw their money away. They were going to make sure they, they would have hermetically sealed us if it hadn't suffocated us, man. They were going to make sure they got their show finished. Um, which actually just brought the cast closer together. Cause when we were out of quarantine, we were all still at the same hotel and we were the only people that we knew for a fact that were clean that, you know, like we we can't get it from each other. We hadn't seen anybody else, you know. So it was it was it was quite an experience and it really did bond the cast even closer together. I can imagine, especially when, you know, you're kind of in the middle of something and you're trying to get it done. And Netflix seems like the type of production company to me. Well, first of all, they've just really struck gold with these multi-camera, single-camera, sitcoms, dramas. I mean, I think it kind of started with that show, The Ranch, and then they set the Mm -hmm. precedence for what could be done with a comedy and not having it typically go to a specific network, right? Like the big three, but going to Netflix and also giving us, the viewers, the opportunity to literally binge-watch the entire thing in one setting and not have to wait a week or two or maybe three weeks before... We got another yeah. episode. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned the ranch and you probably know this because, Brett, I think you know everything. No. Uh, but the, the creator, the creator of the ranch is the, also the creator of our show, The Crew. So this is at the very least his second go around with um, Netflix. And I, I love it. I love the fact that they're doing the multicam comedy on there. I tend to watch more single cam stuff. Uh, as far as comedy goes, uh, but I I have been surprised how many friends of mine are huge fans of multicam comedies, and even more surprised not my friends from Georgia, which I totally expected, but other friends from out here even who are big fans of NASCAR that I never would have known. You know, I grew up around 
NASCAR growing up in the South. Um, but the guys out here who I never would have thought were NASCAR fans, that has been a real surprise to me. And I love that NASCAR is so involved. Like, you know, they gave us our own car that actually races, <laughs> you know, wow. in NASCAR races. We have real uh, drivers, you know, who come onto the set and other people uh, uh, associated with NASCAR. They're around every day. It's great that they lend the legitimacy to it and, you know, give us a real nice feel to play in there with NASCAR. Yeah, that was the other part that I liked, too, as somebody who's somewhat associated or familiar with NASCAR just by association and then to have a whole show that's centered around it and really have advisors or whatever the real deal come in and help you I wanted to ask you because of the multi-camera is it easier to get a lot more done in a shooting day versus like if you were just doing single camera like a lot of these types of shows like comedies or dramas that film that way specifically well, it's, you know, it's funny, like, uh, hey, everybody, if you ever want to be an actor, know this. The sitcom life is the easiest TV acting life there is. Monday through Wednesday are very quick days. You go in, you have your, yep, they, they snap, snap, snap. You have your rehearsals, you read the script over. And then the writers make changes. The beauty of the multicam is the writers are constantly making changes, finding funnier jokes, finding funnier beats. On Thursday, you shoot a little bit. And then Friday is you shoot in the evening. They're very, they're very quick work weeks. When I was on Boston Legal, I could easily shoot a 13, 14 hour day. Oh, uh, for sure. That's not happening hardly on any sitcom unless something weird just goes wrong. Yeah. Quick shooting. And, you know, they're quick. And for a stage actor, it's the closest to working on stage because you have a live audience there in, in front of you on performance days. So it's it's interesting know. to see how those shows work organically live. I saw I think it was a few years ago, the Marlin show. I got to see a taping mm -hmm. of that. And it's surprisingly, you know, you're there for a couple hours, but how fast the time goes in between shots and then, of course, yeah. the actors coming out and interacting with the audience. You know, Marlon, my God, he was just I've never seen somebody with so much energy in my entire life. Just <laughs> not only filming, but also, you know, while they're doing rewrites, you know, they might do a joke and then the audience is just kind of like, this isn't funny. So they rewrite it, retape it, and then they just keep moving along. Mm -hmm. But. I imagine for you, for someone who has the background of an improv performer, being on a comedy like this is probably great because you can be a lot more relaxed and sort of, you know, use those magic skills as an actor and sort of meld with the cast and really just be on your toes, yeah. especially if, you know, someone is is kind of in that same lane as you, if that makes any sense, like a Kevin Absolutely. James or whoever. Absolutely. You know, Kevin James, both Kevin and Dan Adu, uh, are stand up. So they're used to the live audience. And then the other two actors, the Broadway actors, they're used to the live audience. So those those nights are performance nights. And then with Kevin going, keep it loose and have fun. You know, we throw in our own stuff. Uh, you know, if they don't want it, they won't take it, you know. <laughs> but uh, I think everybody's goal is to make the most fun show that they could possibly make. And the head of that for us is the director. His name is Andy Fickman, who I'd never worked with until then. 
he is probably the single best, not probably, he is the single best sitcom director I've ever met. Nobody keeps a set laughing and moving and fun like that dude. Like he's genuinely a funny, funny human being. He understands comedy and he understands comedic actors. He is brilliant. He's a brilliant, brilliantly funny director who really keeps the show light and moving. Even during the quarantine time, during the COVID time, he still kept it fun there and it made everybody want to be like, you can't let the director be funnier than, than your show. Everybody's going to kick it up three notches, you know? Yeah. It's interesting that you say that Gary about comedic actors. I've heard this before. Really. It's just a very special skill set. It's not like, you know, I mean, I've heard it's easy for comedic actors to do drama, but it's harder for dramatic actors to do comedy or maybe the reverse, just because of the skill set that it takes to put that out and together, right? I definitely think there's a timing thing that is hard to hard to learn if you've been just only doing drama forever. I, I started out doing Shakespeare, you know? Yeah. I started out on stage doing dramatic stuff. And when I was living in Atlanta, I did a lot of dramatic chase Marky Post and try to rape her. Like, seriously, not joking. Like, yeah, yeah, I, that's a big... scary-ass characters, you know? Um, it was only when I moved to L.A. that it became mostly comedy because the first things I were cast in was Malcolm in the Middle and playing these this goofy, crazy character on Amanda Bynes' show, The Amanda Show. So they immediately said, oh, he's a comedic actor. And then that's... That's what they saw me as, you know, Hollywood has a way of Hollywood has a way of telling you who you are. Yeah, um, I've heard that a few times, once or yeah. twice from actors like yourself. But, you know, I luckily I get to I get to do a lot. I have a rich variety of things that I get get a chance to do. So uh, being pegged as a comedic actor is not anything that I ever wake up crying about. That's for damn sure. No, I mean, there's probably plenty of work to be had. Um, you yeah. know, regardless of what the film project is or television show, I want to switch gears about the improv and talk about that. You've done Who's yep. Line multiple times. We've mm -hmm. had pretty much all of the cast members from that show on our show. So about that, do you feel more comfortable in an improv situation? Like when you do that sort of thing or yeah. you do? Okay. Yeah. Like that's home for me. Okay. Uh, improv is totally... A hundred percent. Like I, I, a couple of years ago, I did um, a pilot with David Schwimmer. Uh, we were best friends in it. It was, I think it was an Israeli pilot they were making the American version of, but it was totally improvised except like I knew who my character was. He knew who his was. And so I, we shot in New York and like I'd shoot a day. And at the end of the day, I remember the first day I was like, so what are we shooting tomorrow? And they, the production company goes, We'll tell you tomorrow. After we pick you up, we'll let you know. Like nothing to worry about, nothing to think <laughs> wow. about, no scene. It's like, yes, thank you for that. Uh, same thing on uh, 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 what's the show with uh, Larry David? Um, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, I've, I've only done one episode of that, but it was that same thing. Before the audition, they gave me a little slip of paper that said, Larry's going to try to get out of a ticket. Don't let him. You're the judge. And that was it. And the rest of it is yours it. to mess around with. So absolutely, that's the single most comfortable place for me to be. 
is doing improv. Yeah. Yeah. And I've heard just in reading and listening to other interviews from other actors about working with him, that it's very much improv, you know, like, and I think it might be, and this is just an assumption, but for all those years doing Seinfeld and how Seinfeld was very meticulous about writing things down word for word and just having those solid scripts and for mm-hmm. whatever reason, you know, him departing the show, but still having a lot of ties to it, but then coming and doing this show where it's the same type of comedy observational, mm-hmm. but not so much scripted per se, you know. I mean, no, you can forget the per se. It is not scripted. Okay. Like if you ever think there's a script going around, no, they'll have some beats and like, all right, he's got, he, he goes here. And then while you're shooting it, uh, you'll do a take and they'll, they'll go great. Hey, <laughs> keep, keep that thing you said about the candy, but then add in anything else you want. Okay, great. Keep that thing you said about the candy and that. Now, next time we shoot it, do whatever else you want to do. Like there was never a line written for you. Wow. Not one, not one. It was all improv. Like Reno 911, same deal. They'll tell you the scene set up and then totally improvised. Yeah. That's so... I mean, I just find that fascinating just because from an outside perspective of somebody who watches these shows and then has the pleasure of talking to folks like yourself or anybody that's involved in a project like that. And just I guess it's a testament to your ability to act and to improv because you, I would imagine you have to be on your toes, just ready for anything. <laughs> yeah. There's no relaxing. None at all. And Larry in that case like Larry loves to play and he will just give you some weird stuff to have to deal with on set and you know I know my job is to take that weird stuff make it look good and then throw something weird at him that he's going to make look good you know uh I love it man and Reno 911 this I shot some episodes uh was that this year now holy crap whenever they just shot new episodes um, Pretty recently, I think I was reading yeah. about it in one of the trades. It was it was very recent. Now I'm just kind of missing. Was it the end of last year or the beginning of this year? But it's that same thing, man. Of of I I I used to love watching that show, and still do. It's just brilliantly funny to me. It's a great simple premise, and the characters. It's the character work that makes it great. So you know how, basically how the character is going to react to something, but it's the surprise crap that comes out of people's mouth that give you something fun to play with. Yeah. I think that would just be the most intriguing part about all of it in the sense of just kind of going, I don't know where this is going to, to land, but I do know that something is coming my way. Right. (laughs) And it's like, Okay, here we go. And I've heard the Who's Line guys also say the same thing. Like when you're doing these bits like Hoedown or Broadway, you just have to really be thinking five or six steps ahead of the person to your left or right because... I I am literally the opposite of that. Really? That's interesting. I I don't want to think of anything until it comes to me. So I do a lot of song... improv and I used to like in the slow times before when I used to have a lot of slow times sometimes I would teach improv musical improv really and my buddy Nick Jameson Uh uh-huh and Nick Jameson is one of the most brilliant musical improvers I've ever met he used to be in a band called Fog Hat back in the day okay he's he's an old white dude who can freestyle 
with any body, freestyle, hip hop, any, any kind of song styles. Like he can play any instrument for real from flute to bass to clarinet to, he just plays everything, drums, he plays everything. Uh, and he can just freestyle. So he and I used to teach improv music and there's two ways to go about it. You can do that think ahead thing, or you can literally wait till the ball is in your hand and react then. That's how I prefer. Thinking ahead is just gonna, I don't wanna try to make all those rhymes in my head in triplicate. I trust myself to go, when it gets to me, whatever that guy just left me with, I will be able to deal with it and I will be able to rhyme it and I will make it make sense and I will pass it on to somebody else. And it will be funny, which I... And it, it better be or else they don't have you back. <laughs> <laughs> That's, yeah, I've heard. I was asking Colin about that just kind of off air. I said, like, do you ever have guest stars on and you... Whoever makes the decision to bring them on and then you're like, this is going to be a wild ride. And then it just doesn't quite turn out to be the way that you expected. And he's like, oh, it happens all the time. But really, you have no way of knowing if that's going to be the case or not until you're there. You're with an audience. You have Laura Hall and everybody there to rock and roll. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, (laughs) let's let's retape this real quick. You know, (laughs) I remember. So here's I, I don't think I've ever even told this in a podcast or anywhere. So my earliest uh, dealings with Whose Line Is It Anyway was watching the English version long, long, long ago when it first came out. Then my buddy Nick Jameson, he and I did improv in Atlanta together with this group Laughing Matters, and we both loved doing music. He sent a tape of himself to England uh, saying, hey, I want to audition for this show because he also has English citizenship. Then they were like, hey, so funny, we're about to start trying to do an American show. This is not the one they wound up doing, but they were going to try long, long ago. And they said, we will, we're going to be in New York. We'd love for you to come up and audition and bring that black guy with you. Okay. So I was, I was that black guy. So I go up and audition with him. They started out with like 30 people in the morning. And then they cut it down to they were left with five of us. And then they never say anything like after the five. Great. Thank you, guys. And then I didn't get on. They did this a couple of times and they had me fly out to California Start out with like 30 people, narrow it down to like four or five. Thank you. I never get on. I never get on. And after a while, they kept asking me to audition and they weren't hiring me. And so I said, nah, I told my agent, if those guys ever called, I'm not going. <laughs> they called again when they came back around like seven or eight years ago. And I was like, hey, you know me, I'm not, I'm not going to go. Those guys know what I do and what I don't do if they want me. I'm doing a show with my comedy group, the black version. At the Groundlings, they can show up if they want. I'm not going to audition for those guys. So they showed up at the black version, and then they hired me. <laughs> and of then course. After, <laughs> after that, the producers were like, where have you been? Why haven't we met you before? Like, you fools. You've seen me before. You know who am. Gary, you, An- you know you, who I am. You know my type, that Gary Anthony Williams type. That's funny. I, I love it couple more questions here as we wrap. I You mentioned that you're a father, which is great. Yeah. Does your son have any kind of interest in this business at all? Uh, when my son was, I think he was six, the first grade or kindergarten, he was watching his buddies on stage at his elementary school. And he leans over to me and he goes, Dad, 
That is exactly what I will never do. So the answer is no. Uh, he is a computer science guy. Love he's it. Graduating. He's graduating this year. He's looking at, he's got a bunch of co college offers right now. So he's deciding which one of those he's going to do. Uh, I did see his English paper the other day. He had, a, he had to do a, a video English paper. And he's not an actor and he's a quiet guy. And unless you're his friend, you would never know that he has a great, stupid sense of humor. You just never know because everybody sees him as straight, quiet, science guy. I saw this video he made for his English class the other day. And it was like, dude, this is good. And I said to him, you know, you can act right. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> and I go, you could probably do a YouTube channel like with math and science stuff. He goes, yeah, I might. So <laughs> that's the only time I've ever heard him go, okay, I realize that I can actually act. But it was so totally different than anything I've seen him do because normally he's out in my guest house with a computer and 58 cameras that he's set up to create some invention. That lady has an idea for. There you go. I mean, you know, I think it's a 50 50 wash a lot of times for most people, actors or, or celebrities who have kids that either they're just in or out or no interest at all, you know. And yeah. I guess, I mean, he's obviously grown up around it and seen it, yep. probably been with you to set, you know, just had people in and yep. out of his life. But that's great. I always, I kind of find that really cool in the sense that people who have kids that are in the business and they just go and do something so polar opposite of what yeah. mom and dad do, mm -hmm. you know, that it's just kind of like, okay, that's great. You know? Yeah. I, I love the idea that he's, and for, this would be for anyone that he's found his own thing. Yeah. Like he found the thing that, that gets him moving and motivated that he's really interested in and interested in creating and rediscovering and, and kind of just making it his thing. I, I love that idea. Like, I will never be sad that he didn't go into acting. And if he had chose to, I would never be one of those. Oh, I wish you had done something else. Like, no, dude, if that's what you like, if that's what gets you going and motivated, do it. So I, I'm happy that he found his thing. Yeah, yeah. I've heard other folks say in interviews before, you know, well, as long as you know how to work and work hard and have a good work ethic, you know, regardless of the path that you choose, you know, that's all I can ask as a parent. If well, I, I don't want him working hard with ethics. I don't want that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's the last thing I do. I told him, do not bring any ethics around here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Hilarious. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this as we wrap up. I have to say, I mean, you've done a lot of funny things. I mean, it would be hard to list one, but I will have to say Survivor Soul Plane is, to me, <laughs> one of the funniest. I mean, I don't know if you've That's Googled great. that at all, but there's just like a I whole YouTube video. Years. It's like just dedicated to that song. I have Hilarious, not. my no, friends. Hilarious. Let me tell you, may I quickly tell you about my first day on the set? Please do. Of, I would die to hear this story. First day on the set, <laughs> and I'm working with uh, the the other flight attendants who are Sofia Vergara and Angel Conwell. Oh yeah. Um, 
And it was one of those things I've, I've said to my girlfriend recently. Uh, like Angel was, she was like, it's me and the two of them. And I play Flame, the flaming gay flight attendant. And Angel is like grabbing her booty meat and shaking. I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just trying to make sure I have enough jelly back there. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm trying to decide if I want to put on more jelly, something that I don't know any white woman ever saying. Right? I'm trying to see if I want to put on more jelly. I was like, okay. And then like this first day we meet and she's just absolutely funny and just a cool person. And then Sophia Vergara and um, we're talking and I was like, we haven't met, you know, I knew of Angel. I didn't know Sophia at all. She's like, I'm Sophia. I'm, I'm pretty famous. Like she said, one of those things. I was like, okay, Sophia. She's like, no, no, I'm a pretty big deal where I'm from. I'm like, okay, whatever. And then so we're doing dance rehearsal and then we step out for lunch and all of the guys working on the crew, the Latin dudes, we're Sophia, 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 Sophia. And she just looks at me and she goes, I told you I was famous. <laughs> uh, she was so absolutely cool. So that was the first day. First day. And then they come to me and they go, oh, you're, uh, you, we got to shoot a scene of yours today. I was like, dude, I'm, I don't even start working for two more weeks. I'm just in dance rehearsals now working on that song, Survivor. Like, I'm in dance rehearsals for two weeks. I don't start shooting for two weeks. And they said, oh, yeah, uh, either you'll make it up or or they'll write something for you on the set. Like, what? And that was when I was like, okay, this movie is going to be wild. Like, I, I'm not even supposed to be working today, and I'm shooting a scene that's either going to be made up on the spot or some writers are going to just go quickly write write me a scene right then. It was absolutely nuts, man. Yeah. And, and Sophia and I, we were, I, I haven't seen her in a while now, but we were, we were tight for a long time. I would see her. I accidentally saw her naked once. And I, <laughs> I ran it was, it was horrible. I froze like a six-year-old boy. I'm sure. She was, she was on the set of this show called Eve and I was working next door with Monique and uh, Monique was like, oh, Sophia's next door on Eve. If you want to go say hi. I was like, yeah. So I go to say hi to her. She was on stage. She's like, Gary. And then she runs backstage. And I think she's running backstage to see me. And I run around the corner. And she was getting undressed. She was in a costume change. But for some reason, Sophia Vergara has to totally get naked. To change clothes, I guess. And I ran around. And she was naked in front of me, like literally just changing clothes. And I I, I literally froze. And, and I turned around and I ran to my car and drove home. <laughs> I had never had that reaction before. I was like, I, I don't, I hope she didn't see me see her. I hope she didn't think I was trying to sneak around. Uh, I just felt like horrible. and I couldn't even speak. I just ran away. <laughs> I love it. And that is a perfect way to wrap up. <laughs> I feel like we met our goal that we set out for in the beginning, if not more. Be sure to watch the crew on Netflix and all the other things that Gary has done. Gary, thanks for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brett. Really nice talking to you, brother. That brings today's show to a close. Goodly do. Thanks for stopping by. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe. It's absolutely free. The views and opinions of the guests do not necessarily reflect those of the host. Autobots, roll out. Go home.